Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am O'Brien McMahon, and this is People Business. In this episode, I'm joined by Terry Hart. Terry is a corporate learning executive with 25 plus years of experience in learning and development, most recently at Zurich, North America. She's also the author of the book, Hardwired to Learn, Leveraging the Self-Sustaining Power of Lifelong Learning. Her aspiration is to help everyone gain the benefit of lifelong learning, both personally and in service of a better future for all. This was a great conversation. Often we talk about building learning initiatives, but we don't often talk about how people actually learn. And in this conversation, Terry dispels a few myths about learning and then talks about how we and then how we can help others improve our own curiosity and actually learn better, learn more and be able to do more in the world. So fun conversation for me. I'm a nerd for this stuff. I hope you enjoy it too. And I hope you can put it into practice and find some fun stuff and and or productive stuff to learn for yourself. Without further ado, here is Terry Hart. Terry, welcome to the show. Very excited to have you on. I was a big fan of your book, Hardwired to Learn, and uh, I'm excited to dive in and just learn about learning today. I think this would be a fun topic. Well, thank you, O'Brien. Ha- uh, happy that you were interested and excited in the topic. It's near and dear to my heart and, and my passion. So I'm um, happy to talk about it with you today. So n- normally I like doing kind of like a what's your origin story, but I know we're, we started recording a little late, so we're a little tight on time and I've got more questions than we're going to get to anyway. So I would l- love to just dump right in and just ask you, what does it mean to you to be a lifelong learner? You talk about being a lifelong learner. What does that mean to you? Well, that's a great question. And it's interesting because if you would have asked me my origin story, I would have talked about being a lifelong learner and, um, you know, really having and growing an appreciation for what it means to learn and change and and grow. And um, it's something that I have a profound appreciation for in my own life. And I think it's interesting, too, because we are all always learning despite our intentions. And really, the crux of being a lifelong learner is being deliberate about learning and being thoughtful about always learning and growing and developing new skills. We can learn a new language or a new skill or or just become better, better partners, better friends, better at our jobs better at our hobbies. When we're, when we're deliberate about learning, we become better at learning. And so that's what I think is really exciting is that by, by embracing learning and practicing it regularly, particularly challenging ourselves with things that are difficult, we can actually become lifelong learners and, and become really good at being learners. So you mentioned, you know, everybody is a lifelong learner. We're all learning things all the time through just the osmosis of the happenings of life, right? Like we're just forced to react to different scenarios and, oh, that didn't work. And we try something different. Like what percentage of the population, and I know this is not a statistically accurate question, but like what portion of the population that you see are, are proactive lifelong learners? Like they're, they right. are going out and they're seeking it purposefully. Yeah, I think just that that deliberation, right? People who are deliberate in their learning is really the key. 
And it's interesting because there seems to be quite a split. And to be honest, I think it's about half and half. I know that's totally a guess, but I run into a lot of people who who say, I'm done learning. And it's it's kind of a depressing thing to me. And I, I know they're learning. I know they're still learning. I know these individuals and I, I, I know a little bit about their lives sometimes. And I think, well, they're still learning. They're just being less deliberate about it. And some of it's still positive, but some of it is just maybe, you know, not guided. And I think by not intentionally learning, we're leaving capabilities and potential on that table because that it's being deliberate and through really trying hard and difficult things that we actually get better at learning. And so when we're intentional about it, we're using strategies, we're using tactics, we're growing our muscle around learning and getting better at it. So the but but I would say about half the people out there are learning and they're approaching it in a lot of different ways from, you know, we see octogenarians and barking on their second act or getting getting degrees. I, I think I saw one not too long ago that got a, a law degree. So I thought that was really work really exciting. Uh, and in the workplace, I see people really embracing learning all the time and, and looking not only to maybe sharpen their skills, but growth skills around technology and really embrace change in, in their careers because I think a lot of people are really excited about that. And and just recently, I was teaching a fr- friend of mine to swim. I not not swim, swim. It was somebody who knew how to swim, but just learn how to get better at swimming. And and he was actually just thrilled to be practicing something that is actually really difficult to get good at, and that in being engaged with something that takes a long time to learn. It's it's really rewarding. And so for people who practice learning and have embraced learning, they have the opportunity to see how rewarding it can be. And they tend to lean into it more frequently than those who don't sort of do it deliberately or intentionally. So I'm going to put a pin in that because I have a question about that. But let's let's talk a little bit about first some of the myths around learning. So what are some of the most common myths that you see people expressing when it comes to learning? Yeah, yeah. This is really interesting to me because I think myths really are limiting factors in thinking about the way we learn and and really, I think, affect our mindset. And, And one of them is the idea that intelligence is fixed. I think people have a view, I'm either smart or not. And and they often think that uh, they can't change it. And so you hear people say things like, I'm not good at technology or I'm not good at math. And the truth is that people do have the capability to be better at technology or be better at math. And, and I have actually a really good story about that, about a homeschooling mom who learned how to do math because she was incented to do so by her own daughter who she wanted to set a good example for. So intelligence isn't fixed. Another myth is that we stop learning as adults. And, and that's a myth that pervaded neuroscience until for 100 years, basically, from the, from the founding of neuroscience until the late 90s when researchers discovered stem cells in the adult brain, we thought that the brain of adults was fixed and that 
we stopped learning. And actually, interestingly, we've now discovered that the prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed until we're in our 30s, <laughs> which explains a lot of uh, maybe what happened with some of us in our 20s. So we, we know that we continue to learn. And I think another one is the sense that we all have, that we all can learn better if we learn according to our individual learning style. That's a myth. That's really interesting because that one continues to pervade our thinking and people think, oh, I don't learn that way. I only learn this way. And that is a myth that actually gets in the way of us trying to do hard things. And then lastly, and this is one that I hear all the time in the workplace and, and a lot of times from very senior leaders who have you know, a, an opinion about how to teach something or learn something is they tend to remember the way they learned it 20 years ago. And they think everybody should be learning it that way and we should learn it that way again. And so we, you know, in the last 20 years, we've learned so much about the brain. And so for us to use tactics and strategies that we used even 20 years ago is somewhat primitive. And so being open to new ways of learning and thinking that there might be some better way of learning is just is going to be keep us from limiting ourselves with what we've done in the past. All right. There's a lot to jump into there, but let's hit the big 800 pound gorilla in the room. What do you mean there are no learning styles? Like, come on, that's, that is what everybody talks about, right? No, no, I'm a, (laughs) I'm a visual learner or I'm an auditory learner. I need to write it down. Like everybody's got their, everybody has a style, right? We all know our own style. What do you mean? There's no style. It's funny. This is the one that people were most upset about, and particularly learning professionals that I talked to, which which is very interesting to me, that learning professionals, and it's it's sort of funny because it's us getting stuck in our own expertise, which is another, which is a barrier that I talk about in my book, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But yeah, we all want to think we're special. And we all want to think that we have a special way of learning things and that, you know, our strengths help us learn things. And and certainly learning style, you know, we people have preferences and, and people definitely have strengths and, and ways they want to learn. But really quite some time ago now, in 2008, there was a, a large meta-study done by a group of very, very respected learning researchers, including Robert Bajork from UCLA. And they found that there's no evidence to support personalized learning based on learning styles. And, you know, I think it's salient because we always hear people say, like you said, I don't learn that way. And I've seen it and I've actually seen it in feedback from learning that we've done. It's like, I don't learn that way. I need somebody to sit next to me and teach it to me this way. And, and I think while there there certainly are poor instructional strategies and tactics tactics that might not be effective for people, that our brains actually kind of work the same way. Like we don't all have, you know, different apparatuses in our brains when we think about learning. And we we have the same anatomy <laughs> in our brains and our brains all work the same way. And so learning largely happens in the same way. And when we get into the mindset that we can't learn a certain way, we're really just turning off our brain and getting in the way of our own learning. And so while it's, it's definitely not a bad idea to, to learn according to your preferences, 
we often also need to embrace learning as something that, yeah, it's something that we don't want to do, but it's, we have to accept that some of the things that we're going to need to do are going to be uncomfortable for us and realize like, yeah, actually, we probably can learn these other ways. It's just hard. And yeah. we maybe need to to just be willing to lean in on that. And, you know, one of the things I like to think about is when somebody thinks about I'm not good at something, you know, I'm not good at doing it that way. It's like, maybe I'm not good at doing it that way yet. And so it's, it's just a mindset piece of it. Yeah. I have a three and a half year old and he, a few weeks ago, started using I can't as a way to get out of things. And, you know, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. And I, I let it go for a couple of weeks and then I, I called him on it and now I won't let him say it anymore. And so now he just has to say, well, I don't want to. I'm like, okay, I appreciate that. We're going to do it anyway. And here's why, but we're not allowed to say I can't anymore. So you talked about the discomfort or the, that comes with the work of learning sometimes, like how much of the sentiment of we stop learning as adults is really just, I don't want to look stupid or do something uncomfortable. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. You know, I think, uh, it, well, first of all, it's funny what you say about your son, because one of my children, I think at around the same age, actually started saying, I can't want to. <laughs> and that's, that's actually really stuck with me over time, because it really demonstrates what something is like when we really don't want to do it. It's sort of like, I'm trying to want to do this, but I can't want to. And so, well, that's, so that's my question on intrinsic motivation later, but we'll come back to, I can't want to. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, as adults, you know, I think the key is really, really understanding your own mindset. We tend to build this personalized matrix of the world in our brains. In fact, I've been been reading this this book that talks a little bit about the neocortex and the neocortex being this very well new, which is the the, the neocortex part of it, part of our brain. It's it's really the size of a napkin. It's like a millimeter thick, and it's on the outside of our brain. And and what's interesting about the neocortex is there are 16 layers of the neocortex and but it's uniform throughout the brain. And so whether this, the part of the brain is being used for auditory or visual or, or kinetic information, the, the cells that are storing that information are the same. And what researchers are coming to find out is that essentially the neocortex is storing the matrix of everything that we know and expect about the world. So how we expect something to sound, uh, when we were doing our sound check at the beginning, or how we expect a coffee cup to feel when we pick it up, we have this matrix in our mind. And of course, this matrix also gets very advanced as we learn things and we start to discard information that we think is untrue and accept information that we do think is true. This, we build up this matrix through years and years of learning. And so um, as adults, if we really want to learn and continue our learning and continue to grow new brain cells and really forge new pathways, we need to be mindful of this matrix getting in in the way and it shows up in the form of cognitive bias. It shows up in the form of how quickly we think about things. 
So slowing down our thinking, turning off our autopilot, and really just trying to take a beginner's mindset and actually look through the world with child, you know, with those child's eyes, which you're having an opportunity to do now. We, it, it allows us to ask the questions that open the doors to really continuing to learn. And I just think the more we can all get comfortable with and encourage others to to embrace and get comfortable with this idea that you don't have to know everything and that you can look a little, you know, quote unquote foolish in the moment that like that that's where learning comes from. You know, that concept that if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. You know, we, we all should have gaps that we're trying to fill and we should be willing to admit those gaps and seek out that knowledge either from books or the internet or from other people who have gone before us and, and gained that experience. And so I just, I just see that as such a rub with people, you know, where they're just not willing to deal with the cognitive dissonance that, or the, the ego hit of looking like a fool in the moment or, you know, which nobody looks like a fool when you don't know something. There's plenty of things we don't know, right? It's just all your perception of like, oh, I'm going to look exposed here. There's some like primal part of your brain that's like, I'm going to take a social hit and drop a few rungs on the social ladder. So like I have to keep my mouth shut or worse, I have to pretend that I do know all this stuff. I think the more we can just get get through that and get to a point where we all are just curious all the time and trying to seek the best answers, that's where we all start to really learn. Oh, absolutely. I, I actually work with a group of leaders in my, my current role who really are sort of role models for learning in the organization. And we talk about this. How do we role model learning and learning from failure and, and willing to be wrong? And and also just understanding that, you know, there this may be the way I've done things in the past, but there might be a, a more optimal way. And and always exploring and and allowing uh, us to find some other better way. And so I, I love what you said about cognitive dissonance because that is our ego kind of jumping in and trying to protect ourselves and protect what we know. And the more that we become aware of our, our tendency to do that, the more, by the way, we become aware of other people doing that, <laughs> which is interesting. But also the more we be- become aware of it, the more we're able to kind of turn it off. Because just noticing and observing when you're doing that, it gives you that control to be able to say like, okay, this is what I'm doing and I'm going to not do that. I'm just going to pause and not do that. So what insights have you come up with in that group? Like, how do you model that? How do you get a group of people around you to embrace that culture and feel comfortable enough to start to be curious and and be vulnerable and learn? Yeah, so, you know, I think a couple of different things. I think, you know, as we think about learning from failure, we can model that, right? And so we can model making mistakes. We can model changing our minds and and being open to new information. We can model listening and 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 recognizing that there may be a better way. And so I think, you know, as leaders or or just even in working with other people, I think the more that we draw attention to our own thought processes around this and and the more that we're willing to sort of disrupt our own matrix, the more that other people start 
they're catching on and they're they're willing to disrupt theirs too. And I think also, I think just having the mindset that, you know, I, I, I was talking about the example of um, a friend of mine learning to swim better. It's a skill that takes a lot of effort to develop. And, and I don't know how much you know about swimming, but swimming is something that if you're not that good of a swimmer, it's very hard. It's very difficult to swim. And it's very much all about technique. And the better your technique is, the easier it gets to swim. And I really like that as a metaphor for learning because, you know, swimming without the right form, you're not going to be very aerodynamic in the water and it's, you're just going to use a lot of energy and you're going to be puffing and puffing. But as you grow capability around noticing things, uh, where's my, how, how am I holding my, my legs? Am I streamlined in the water? Where am I putting my hands? Am I putting my, my hand right in front of my shoulder? What does my hand look like? How, how does my pull look? When am I pulling my hand out of the water? All of those things that you start noticing, you become better at swimming. And so I think very similarly with learning, you start noticing all these different things that you're doing. And, and again, just observing, but it gets easier and easier. And I think, too, that as we lean into, you know, the discomfort of learning and recognizing when things are hard and we see ourselves coming through the other side of that and, and having a lots of proof points of success. It's just, you know, if somebody has three degrees, they know, they know how hard it is to work through that degree and then they, they, but they see the success on the other side. And the more they do that, they realize like, wow, this is really worth it. And it becomes fuel to continue to invest and continue to sort of even search out that sort of discomfort and, and enjoy it and embrace it. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Cause I think that's a good segue into intrinsic motivation. So what do you recommend to people or, or how do you sort of coach people who recognize that maybe they've been a little closed off, but they're just not really sure what they're interested in and they're not, you know, they, they just kind of struggle with, okay, where do I go? They don't really have a lot of intrinsic motivation to go out and just consume as much as they can. How do you spark that? Is it even possible yeah. to spark that? Yeah. Well, it's challenging, I think, to spark that. But I think, you know, I think something that drives many of us is having a purpose. And I think we've been listening to and hearing about all of the great things that having a purpose does for us because it helps us focus attention on things that are larger than ourselves. And I think for those of us who have been driven by purpose before, I think we realize how much more energized we are because it makes us actually neurologically and physically more equipped to handle difficult challenges. And what's great about it is it actually is when you are able to accomplish something in service of a purpose, you actually get a rush of oxytocin and serotonin and dopamine. It's sort of the happiness trifecta. And that stimulates even more work in service of that purpose. And so learning can actually work very much in the same way. And so if you're working in service of a purpose, 
you are going to continue to drive your outcomes based on that purpose. And so what's great too is the other side of this is that individuals who are purpose-driven actually show slower rates of cognitive decline and have a lower risk of Alzheimer's. And so there's some interesting neuroscience around purpose. And so not only can it help you, help drive you to learn and help motivate you to learn, but it also can, can actually improve your cognitive abilities over time. That's fascinating. Yeah. I, one, one other thing, too, I want to talk to is this concept of self-efficacy. And self-efficacy, I, like to, I define it simply as the belief that what you do matters. And so, and if you think about this and and you have a three and a half year old, it's the most important thing to teach your child is self-efficacy. I wish I would have known that as a, when I had a three-year-old or a two-year-old, but but that ability for them to know that they have an impact on the world around them, it it really, really matters. And to know that the actions that they take are going to affect their lives and, and how, how to really get through things, it really does matter. And so, so learning and having the experience of learning through things helps people see that they can work their way through things and can overcome adversity. So, so that just that self-efficacy can help boost intrinsic motivation. The other thing, so I'll just add my personal experience for whatever it's worth is I think we often think that like whatever our goal is, we have to be myopically focused on it. And if we're not learning in that domain, then, you know, we're not improving in some way. And, and yet learning in our domain sometimes can be tedious. And I just think like I was lucky enough when I went to college, I think I've told this story in here before I went to college and I was choosing my major And I was going to go into the business school because that was the smart thing that seemed to make sense. And then I walked into the communications building and I was, I was like a huge movie TV fanatic when I was growing up and would just consume all the movies I could, I could watch. And I walked in and they had a full TV studio right in the main hallway. And it was like the big, you know, production room with all the different TV screens and the switchboard. And then behind that, there was the big studio with the four cameras. And it was, it was like right there. And I was like, wait, I get to like use this stuff and I get to make these things like, God, this would be so fun. And I chose fun as my major. And I wound up, I was the kid who would stay after class and ask a thousand questions about how to shoot a certain scene in a movie. And, and I wound up writing short films on my own. And I just like, I would consume all this content outside of school too, because I was so intrinsically interested in the, the concept. And then as I've gone into adulthood, I've just sort of carried that one decision has become other decisions to, oh, well, I really want to do this thing, or I really want to learn about that thing. And it, that decision then empowered me to do it again. And then that empowered me to do it again. To your point, the more you do it, the more you, you want it. And I just think, you know, now I'm just curious about all kinds of stuff, which is why I do a podcast and have you on to talk about learning. But I just think like there, I think we can encourage people too, not just to learn in their career path, but to just find things that interest them and learn as much as they can about it. And then find another thing that interests you and learn as much as you can about it, whether it has any payoff or not. 
you know, you never know down the road how the things that you learn will all come together. For me, I learned production in college. I have studied sales through my professional career, and I've built this network through my career and all my different hobbies. Well, lo and behold, when the pandemic started, I had the idea to start this podcast and I used all three of those things. They just all converged together perfectly to create this podcast that was actually fairly easy to, to put together. You just never know how the, those learnings are going to come together. So I always encourage people like no learning is stupid learning and, you know, go find whatever you're interested in and just be interested in it. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great example because Certainly, that's another way to overcome, you know, intrinsic motivation is just pursue your passion and pursue what you are interested in. And I like what you said is you sort of reap rewards from pursuing your passion. And as you do that, you it actually just encourages you to continue to do that. And so it is a it's a it's a very positive thing to put into play and be able to just continue to to learn and in service of, of what drives you and what you're curious about. So let's talk about learn the actual art of learning. Cause we talked about, there's no one, or I guess there's no personalized learning style that's better than other learning styles, but there are sort of maybe poor ways to teach something. What is the process for learning? And like, how do you teach people to learn? So in my book, I actually talk about really what it means to transform yourself into a learner. And so really, what do you have to do to develop different habits in your life so that you're transitioning yourself into what it means to be a learner? And I I talk about a couple of different things. And one of them is about connecting to purpose. And I talked about connecting to purpose already as a way to sustain motivation. But then also, I think a piece of of connecting to purpose is also inspiring others and fostering gratitude and perseverance. And so so that's connecting to purpose. And another thing is actually to just start to integrate a practice of self-reflection into your daily routine. And that allows us to learn from experiences. And so as we, as we reflect on successes and failures, we can reduce errors that we've made and, and we can reinforce some of the success that we've had in the past. And then also just promote our own personal growth and I think put us in the mindset that we're always growing, we're always changing. What might that daily reflection look like? Uh, yeah, you know, I, 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 I missed in the pandemic, I missed the, the daily drive home because that had actually turned that actually was my my practice of self-reflection. And so it's interesting when the pandemic started and I no longer had to drive home, I had to think about, oh, how, how can I integrate a practice of self-reflection? Uh, and and you know what's great about self-reflection when we think about it, it not only helps us learn from our mistakes, but it also helps cement learning. It helps us rewire our brains because when we reflect on maybe how you behaved in a specific situation that day, you might say to yourself, you know, I, I didn't really like how that landed or I didn't, I didn't really like how that felt. I would, next time I'm going to do this. 
And in fact, I, I think I have a, have something every single day, <laughs> every single day where I'm driving home. And yesterday, by the way, I was driving home and I was thinking about a meeting that I had had. And I thought, I don't, I don't really like how that meeting ended. I, I felt like it left people unengaged. And so I thought about, well, what can I do to kind of just go double back on that and make sure that people aren't unengaged, but then also what can I do in the future? And so that helps us work through how would we approach this differently in the future? And it, it enables us to rewire and change our behaviors. And so that's that neurogenesis that still happens in the adult brain. If I don't do that reflection, I'm just going to continue to behave in the way that I've already, you know, through those neural pathways that I've created over time, this is how I react in that situation. So we're, we're try, trying to rewire and, and improve our reaction to, to events. But we can also learn a new skill by just reflecting on things. We can formulate principles about our work. And so you, you can draw these inferences that allow us to have principles. Like from now on, I'm always going to put people first in when I make these decisions or, or something like that. And so it really allows us to to really grow and, and learn. And, and I think it's just a matter of making time and making a habit out of it. It could be in the shower. It could be, as I said, on the drive home. And just ask yourself, you know, take that time and pause and ask questions. You know, what went well? What didn't go so well? What could be better? What could be different? And what did I learn? What did I learn today? And then, and, and then from that, you can kind of take away, what do I want to learn? from this and what are principles that I can can take going forward. And and by the way, I think, you know, the meeting I talked about yesterday, I think one of the things is and and I, I'll just admit this is a takeaway of mine often and I'm getting better at it and I've been getting way, way better at it. And I think by the way, most people have this takeaway, but it was just to listen more. Listen more than talk. And so I, I realize that that's often the cause of problems when things go wrong. And, and some things take some time, right? Some things take time for us to adjust to and, and change to. And so we also have to be a little forgiving of ourselves when, we, when we're not, you know, immediately perfect and see, see the changes that we want to make as something that we're continuing to get better at and practicing and, and improving all the time. I think that that's great advice. And I, I just think so, so much learning just comes from the simple question, how do I get better at that? Because it creates all these other questions. Well, why aren't you good? Where do you need to learn more? How did it go last time? There's, there's all these other questions that come out of that question. And then there's all this other, all these paths open up on things that you could try or learn or do. So just that, you know, how do I get better? How do I make this better? leads to so much learning and growth. If you're just asking yourself that all the time, just having a, having a habit of asking yourself that, you you can go pretty far. You've mentioned purpose a couple of times. I want to go back to that because I think, I mean, I've struggled with purpose in saying, you know, the one defined purpose in my life that I'm going to dedicate however many years I have is X. I just think that, that there are some people who can do that and they know what that is and God bless them. That's fantastic. And I envy those people. I'm not one of those people. I have multiple purposes, multiple 
things that light me up and ways that I can spend my time that feel fulfilling. And so, I don't know, maybe you could tell me I'm just wrong and I need to do more work, but I feel like there are other people out there who feel like that too. And so when you say purpose, does it mean the, whatever the almighty puts you here to achieve, or is it just like goal oriented is what, is what you're saying? Just be goal oriented, pick goals and go after them. And, and you will by that nature learn. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. You know, it's interesting. I think it's a little bit of both actually. And certainly I, I think you don't have to discover your one only higher purpose early in life. And, and certainly we're all going to be following goals. So I definitely think you're right. It's in pursuit of a goal. But I do want to say, and, you know, Angela Duckworth has done some research on this is it can be, if you have a goal and you don't meet that goal, it can actually kind of decrease your confidence and, and cause you to maybe feel like you're going to give up. And so having, having sometimes some broader purpose can actually help, help strengthen your perseverance in, in service of that broader goal. And so, for example, if, if I have a broad purpose, that is, I want to help people, which is just very general. And let's say I go to school to become a nurse and don't pass the exams, don't pass the clinical exams that I need to take. Do I need to give up on that purpose of wanting to help people? Probably not. I can, there's many things I could still do. You know, I think having, having goal-oriented learning is very, very important. But having a higher purpose allows us to be to really be forgiving with ourselves and show perseverance in the face of adversity so when things aren't working. But it's interesting because I do I facilitate a session, a leadership development session on purpose. And we this topic always comes up like I don't have a purpose. And I I, I actually just usually go to Oprah on this one because she says everybody has a purpose. And no matter who you are and, and no matter what you do you have been tapped by a force to do something greater than yourself. And so if you, if you don't think you have that, you just haven't found it yet. So, and I, I like to believe we all, we all do have a purpose. My struggle with purpose is not that I think that people don't have them. It's that I, I really struggle trying to pick one. I, I find like, I find some people are like, oh, you need to find the one thing. And I think it's okay to have a few. Because I, I find that I feel most like myself when I allow myself to be pursuing two or three things kind of all at the same time. Like maybe that maybe it's only one goal at a time, but I know that if I pursue just this one purpose, it actually burns me out a little bit. But if I pursue these two purposes and I can kind of go back and forth, then I can stay really engaged in both and actually make a lot of progress. And so that's just, that's just what I have found with my own self. My wife is a ballet dancer and like, she just knew from an early age that she wanted to be a ballet dancer and she was going to become a ballet dancer. And that was her purpose. And like that, she just dedicated her life to that. And, you know, we come at life very differently, but have both achieved along the paths that we wanted to. And, you know, I envy her in a lot of ways for having that clarity. Yeah, I think you can do you could go deep or or broad, right? With with purpose. And I think I love the ballet dancer example of somebody who's just is really hyper focused. But O'Brien, I think I'm more like you, where 
I think I have an overarching purpose, really just wanting to learn and grow and help others realize their potential through through learning. But there's so many goals that I can pursue in service of that. And so yeah. I'm not, I don't think I'm going deep so much as going broad. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I do think that that opens up opportunities for learning when you realize that under the broad umbrella, there are so many different expressions of a purpose or, or of a, like a broad goal. And so there's always more things that you can be learning and more ways you can be applying, which I think just, I don't know, to me, that's kind of fun because that just, that opens up life much more broadly than just the, the one silo that you pick. So could you share some of the learning hacks that you talk about? I'm always hesitant to use the term hacks, but when people are trying to apply themselves and and want to learn new things, so they've decided they want to learn new things, what are the tips and suggestions that you have for how they can actually go out and do that? Yeah, sure. It's interesting. I, I think of the learning hacks that I talk about in my book as just sort of the the beginning <laughs> to to learning hacks because I think we're there are a lot of learning hacks. And what I wanted to do was just really focus on the ones that I think are going to be the most powerful at unleashing learning. But I think it's there's there's so many that we could talk about it for a very long time. But in my book what, I which actually, are your favorites? Yeah, in my in my book I talk about a few that are my favorite. And one of them is just this concept of learn hard. And I talked, I alluded to it a little bit earlier. And I, when I think of learning hard, I actually think of, I like to remember when we were in college and some of us had reading assignments and we took the highlighter out and started highlighting things when we thought we were learning. And it's just unfortunately not a very good way to learn. And in fact, it, it actually does something. It, it gives us um, what's called the illusion of learning. We're reading it, we're highlighting it, we're doing activities, we're thinking we're learning, but we're not actually creating new pathways in our brain or, 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 or recalling the information or doing anything to really cement that learning in our brain. It's actually, it's, there's a term for it, it's called low-level perceptual priming. And you, you actually just don't learn that way. <laughs> and what's, what's more is that if you sort of if you sort of practice reading before a test and you're just like scanning over your highlighted words and then you're asked to explain something, just because you read some highlighted text and then you have to turn around and explain it and have recall it and memorize it, you're just not practicing the activities that you need to practice. And so recalling things and, and explaining them and writing them down in, in different words and doing things like that sort of changes the, the information. And, it, and it's a slower path to learning, but it's a better path to learning. And so doing the things that are hard and actually sort of forcing yourself to memorize things, to recall things, to practice math problems, to actually put your hands on the technology and not just watch a video of it is going to help us learn. Another one so what, I, I, what really I like, hear just real quick on that one, because <laughs> I just want to say it back. Cause what I hear you saying is use the material, just like find as many ways as you can to use the material. 
Don't just sit there and read it. Don't just sit there and highlight it. Like to your point, use it in a lot of different ways, write it down, recall it from memory, talk to other people about it, you know, explain what it means, teach it to somebody else. Like use, use it in as many ways as you can. It's kind of what I heard you say there. Absolutely. Absolutely. The more approaches to learning you have, the better that you're going to be able to cement that learning. That's exactly, exactly it. And, and actually I love what you said, teaching others, because teaching others actually forces us to develop principles. It forces us to figure out, okay, what are the steps that I take to do that? And it forces us to think through things that I've, you know, just being an instructional, I, I actually was an instructional designer for many years and I wrote training on many topics, including training that I, on topics that I knew nothing about when I first started the training. And I always had a subject matter expert that I worked with, but as you know, subject matter experts aren't really good necessarily at training. And so I had to learn enough of it so I could try to figure out how to re-explain it, but also create learning activities around that. And so I sort of grew really adept at this teaching others piece. And now, now whenever I have anybody on my team that wants to learn something, I actually try to turn them into a teacher. And so I have somebody on my team that's interested in becoming better at analytics and data analysis and, and things like that. And I, I said, well, why don't you grow some skills on that and teach it to everybody else? <laughs> because we need to grow skills around that on our whole team. And so, so now he's got a little project of building capability on the whole team. And that, that's a, a short-term goal for him to meet. And he's going to have to sort of not only learn it himself, but explain it to other people. So, you know, I think the other thing too is, is one of my other favorite things is learning things you think you can't learn. And I talked a little bit at the beginning about a homeschooling mom who for many years thought, you know, and this is, by the way, this was me following the learning hashtag on Instagram. And there was this homeschooling mom who was just really excited. She posted, I, I have, I can learn math. And essentially she was trying to work through what were some difficult algebra problems and trying to understand them so that she could teach her daughter math. Um, and by the way, that kind of ties into the teaching piece. But in the process of figuring it out, she realized, wow, I can learn this. And so it kind of opened up a whole new world for her that she thought was impossible before because she thought she couldn't learn math. And so as we learn things that we maybe think we can't do, it helps us grow more resilient and, and get better at learning. I am sort of chuckling to myself and wondering how many math teachers have inadvertently created a fixed mindset in their students over the years? You know, I like math just seems to be the one that just makes people feel like they can't do something like this. You know, I can't do this. I'm not good at math. I don't know if there's any other subject, maybe more than math that just makes people feel like they were not born to do something and creates that fixed mindset. <laughs> I think you're right. It was, you know, the I'm not good at math yet, that yet word added to the end. That was something actually shared with me by a, by another parent who who said that's what her, her child had learned in school from her third grade teacher or fourth grade teacher. And I thought that that was 
really great that the teacher was teaching kids at a very young age to add the word yet to the end, um, whatever they thought they weren't good at, because it is a mindset. And I think a lot of people have that mindset around math. And it can take, take, you know, I think the thing about it is, is math is actually hard and challenging. And so as soon as you get into the mindset that, oh, this is hard and challenging and it's because I'm not good at it, you really start to turn yourself off to learning. And so if you realize that it's just challenging and it just takes more work to learn, then, you know, the people who learn math are the people who really continue to persevere and and work through it and realize like, oh, I can learn this. So yeah. it's interesting. I remember hearing a story. I, I don't remember where I read it. My attribution stinks, but I remember hearing a story about a little girl who did felt that she was not good at math and the teacher called on her to come up to the front of the class and do the, solve whatever the problem was. And she couldn't do it and she cried and said she couldn't do it. And the teacher made her stay up there and kept asking her questions. And she w- I think she was up there almost the whole class. And finally, after like 30 or 40 minutes of this, which must have been torture, it clicked. And she just understood what it was that they, that he was trying to communicate. And like she had put it together in her own way by asking questions and having him prompt her with questions. And somehow it clicked. And then after that, you know, she excelled in the class and she went from very low grades to very high grades because she just realized that she could actually learn this stuff. It just, it just took her a different, it took her a longer time than it took other people in the class. And so it didn't mean that she was stupid. It just meant it took her longer to learn that particular skill. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, a really inspiring story. I'd love to find out whose story that is because it's, it's just such a great story. Yeah, I'll see. Uh, we'll put uh, my editor to the test who pulls all the links for everything that we talk about in the show and see if he can find that story through the Google machine. So this has been a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate you coming on the show. If anybody else wants to learn more, I would encourage them to read your book, Hardwired to Learn, Leveraging the Self-Sustaining Power of Lifelong Learning. And we'll put that link in the show notes as well. So Terry, really appreciate you sharing your knowledge here today. And this has been uh, it's been a lot of fun. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. It has been my pleasure. Hey, folks, one last thing before you go. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to hit subscribe so you can stay up to date with future guests. That's it. Thanks for coming. Go make the most of your business and the people in it.